Our scripture lesson is taken from the Gospel of John, page 1,233. Page 1,233 in the Pew Bible. I'll begin reading at John 8, verse 37 through verse 59, but we want to give particular attention to verses 48 through 59. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We are not we were not born of fornication, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who are you to make your, who do you, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. As far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, over the past few weeks we have been following Jesus' conversation in the temple courts with those Jews who were described as his disciples, but whom Jesus knew to be false disciples. They were delighted with Jesus as far as his miracles went. They delighted to see his miracles. They especially delighted to be the recipients of the benefits of his miracles. They liked a Jesus who could do 
wonders and uh, great works and who could feed them and heal their diseases and so forth. They were also delighted with Jesus because they thought he would liberate them from Roman oppression, that he would make their lives easier. And they secretly liked the fact that he often stuck it to the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and scribes who, with all their rules and regulations, made it made life difficult for the ordinary Jew. And uh, so they took some uh, joy, although they they didn't express it too deeply, lest they get in trouble with the leadership. But they uh, they liked that he was uh, a bit uh, hard on the Jewish leaders. But when Jesus told them that they needed to be set free from slavery to sin, then they no longer were all that enthusiastic about Jesus. The shallowness of their faith began to be revealed and things began to unravel. They denied any need for such liberation, for they were convinced that they were the children of Abraham and they were the children of God. Jesus says if they were the children of Abraham, if they were the children of God, they would do what Abraham did, namely Abraham believed uh, God. And uh, that is the great work that you, Jesus said, or the scribes asked, you know, what work must we do? Believe in the one whom God has sent. Uh, that's what you need to do. That's what Abraham did. And if you want to be children of God, you need to believe me and believe in me, for I come from God and God sent me. And everything I've said to you, he says, uh, is what God told me to tell you. Now, as far as Jesus was concerned, there were just two types of people that he had to deal with, two types of people in the whole world, namely the uh, the children of God and the, the children of the devil, or in terms of Genesis 3.15, uh, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And uh, uh, Jesus is uh, aware that when we are born into this world, we are all born as children of the devil. Uh, but then by His grace and mercy, through His Word and Spirit, uh, many are reborn and given a new birth uh, from above. And with that new birth from above, we uh, transition from being children of the devil to being children of God. And uh, that is what He is dealing with here. He's dealing with these people who consider themselves children of God who consider themselves worthy of such a privilege and uh, take pride in it. And he's telling them, no, you're not. You're still children of the devil. Uh, He's come for them. He's come to help them uh, transition, uh, to enable them to transition, to, to bring them out of the darkness and into the light and to give them a new life. But they're, they're not yet there yet. Uh, The spirit has not yet worked through the word. And so they are still children of the devil, and he needs to get them to see that so they see their need for the change. Now, if anyone today were to go on national television and say, uh, all the world is born children of the devil, well, that person would be mocked and ridiculed by our culture. The uh, zealots of cancel culture would... uh, jump on such a remark, and if that person was of any significance or uh, importance in the world, they would seek to uh, cancel him or her. Uh, 
for uh, condemning mankind as being children of the devil. Well, such a view is not popular now. Such a view was not popular then. And uh, so uh, this, uh, these people insult Jesus. They jump on him and say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Uh, they were uh, beginning to attack his person. You know, that's called in uh, there's a Latin phrase, ad homium uh, arguments, uh, uh, means against the man. If you can't deal with the ideas of your opponent, then attack his character. And uh, so they begin to attack his character because they, they're really not prepared to deal with his arguments and with what he's saying. They can't uh, dispute the fact that he performs miracles and so forth. And so they say, well, uh, you're a Samaritan. That's a, a racial slur, an ethnic slur as far as the Jews are concerned. And uh, having a demon uh, probably has a double reference. It, uh, on, the, on the surface, it means uh, you're crazy, you're, you're a lunatic, you're uh, you're out of your minds. But it was also the case that they were unable to dispute the fact that he performed miracles. And when they say they have a, he has a demon, they're saying uh, you're, anything that you're able to do, you're doing it by demonic power, not by God's power. Uh, this isn't of the spirit. It's of uh, the devil. And so they are attacking him in this way. Now, this is a grave insult against Jesus. Um, and uh, we want to look at how Jesus responds to that insult. And uh, there are a few things that Jesus does here that we need to take note of. First of all, we need to take note that he says nothing about the fact that they have accused him of being a Samaritan. Now, as far as the Jews were concerned, this is a, a slur against his character. It's, uh, uh, they, they look down upon the Samaritans and so forth. And... Uh, Jesus is, uh, doesn't respond to that. Now, he's not a Samaritan, but if he had said, why, how dare you call me a Samaritan? I'm no Samaritan. I'm, a, I'm as good a Jew as you are. Uh, just as good a Jew as you are. Uh, if he had said that, he would have, in essence, been agreeing that being a Samaritan is a bad thing. And Jesus wanted to give no such implication or inference in any way, and so he said nothing about it. In fact, Jesus is quite happy to be identified with the Samaritans, even though he is not one of them. We read earlier in John's Gospel uh, his encounter with the woman at the well who was a Samaritan and who came to believe in him, and not only did she come to believe in him, but several people from her town also came to believe in him. Samaritans are numbered among true believers in Jesus Christ. And later on, Jesus would give his marching orders to his disciples to be his witness in Jerusalem and Judea, to be sure, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is no ethnic group no racial division of mankind, no language group or cultural group with whom Jesus is not afraid to be identified. In fact, he is gathering his children, his people, his brothers and sisters from every tongue and tribe and people and nation on the face of the earth. And so uh, when they accuse him of being a Samaritan, he 
He's fine with that, even though it's not true. He's not afraid to be numbered with them or associated or identified with them because he knows that uh, Samaritans also will be included and uh, already were included in the family of God as true believers. It's a lesson to you and me that there ought to be no racial, ethnic, or cultural prejudice in uh, the way we deal with people who are different from us. We ought to uh, uh, get rid of any uh, pride in our ethnic heritage as making us better than others. That uh, old saying, uh, if you're not Dutch, you're not much, ought to be anathema among us. Uh, uh, We have no right to uh, elevate ourselves in that kind of uh, thinking. Uh, We are sinners, born sinners like everyone else on the face of the earth, and only by the grace of God are we numbered among uh, the children of God, not through any merit of our own or any uh, value in uh, our uh, lineage or ethnic uh, identity. So that's, that's one way in which Jesus responds. He says nothing about uh, this uh, ethnic slur cast upon him because he doesn't consider it a slur, even though it's not true. Secondly, he does deny that he is demon-possessed. Now, he doesn't do that so much for his own sake as he does for the fact that uh, saying that he has a demon, and particularly the idea that his works are being done by demonic power, that is a slur against the Holy Spirit. He has been anointed with the Spirit, and all that he does, he does by the strength of the Spirit that has been given to him. And so he is not defending his own honor here, but he is defending the honor of uh, the Holy Spirit. He uh, even says that uh, he's not concerned with uh, his uh, honor, but uh, it's the Father who honors him, and he does not uh, seek his own glory. His ministry was glorious. Uh, John says in the beginning of the Gospel, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But uh, the glory that Uh, is displayed is the glory that the Father has given to him. In his high priestly prayer, he will pray, You have glorified me. And indeed, uh, God the Father did glorify Jesus during his earthly ministry, but Jesus does not seek his own glory. And in defending himself against this charge, you have a demon. His concern is not for himself, but it is for the Spirit. We uh, read in 1 Peter, uh, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. Uh, Jesus uh, let these insults uh, roll off of him uh, like water off a duck's back. He wasn't concerned uh, with them uh, for himself. He will defend others, but uh, he did not uh, defend himself. But the the heart of his response to these insults is to say to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now, he's holding out here a promise and uh, showing the means for the fulfillment of that promise. This is the promise of the gospel. If you believe... He who believes will have eternal life. John 6:47. He who believes has eternal life. He's been talking about this all along, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who comes to me will not be turned away, 
but will be received and be the heir of eternal life. And he's reminding them again, hold to my words and you will have life. You will never see death. This is amazing. These people are insulting him, attacking his character, attacking his person, and uh, insulting the Holy Spirit. And he's holding out to them the promise of the gospel. He's giving them another opportunity to believe. He has not come to condemn the world, but that the world might have life uh, through him. This is an amazing thing. It shows just how much uh, God loves the world. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son, that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. The word world in John 3.16 is not the world of rocks and trees and skies and seas. You know, this is my Father's world and to my listening ear all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. That's not the world that the Father loves. The word world in the Gospel of John always describes mankind, fallen mankind, fallen mankind shaking their fist at heaven and and rebelling against God. God in His sovereign love, not for reasons in us or in the world, but for reasons in Himself, loves this fallen world and sends His Son. And here we see the Son dealing with His enemies, dealing with those who like Him for all the wrong reasons and hate Him for for telling the truth that they need to be liberated from sin. And He holds out to them the gift of life. A reminder that You are never so bad that God isn't also reaching out to you. You can never do anything that will shock God and offend God so badly that He says to you, I don't know if I want to hold out the Gospel promise to you. No, He holds out the Gospel promise to wicked sinners and urges them to come and to receive that gift of life. Now, in doing this, uh, in this response to Jesus that he uh, says nothing about uh, being a Samaritan and uh, defends not his own honor, but the honor of the Spirit and holds out the gospel, Jesus is showing also the Christian church, you who do believe in him for the forgiveness of sins, how you ought to deal uh, with uh, the hatred of the world uh, when uh, When Peter tells us uh, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly. When we read that in 1 Peter 2.23, in the verse immediately preceding that, in verse 22, it says that Jesus did this as an example so that we would follow uh, his example. Uh, When we are reviled, when we are uh, persecuted and so forth, we too are to uh, turn the other cheek and not revile in return. Uh, Paul, writing to the Romans, says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. This is uh, how you and I are to deal with the fact that we live in a world that still hates the truth, 
hates God and hates God's people. Uh, we are surrounded by those who uh, uh, want to do us uh, ill and uh, who besmirch our reputation and say all kind of bad things about uh, Christians. You know, a few months ago, there was a video on social media of a uh, pastor in Canada uh, who was uh, in his church building and the police had come into the church building to observe whether uh, COVID rules were being observed or not. And this pastor is on video as uh, yelling at these police and uh, screaming at them to get out of his building and calling them Nazis. And he called them Nazis over and over again in that uh, video. I'm sure some of you have uh, seen it. It uh, got a lot of uh, views and so forth. As I watched that, I, I wondered, would those police ever... Uh, be like the Philippian jailer who came to Paul at midnight and said, what must I do to be saved? Were those police so impressed with the character of that minister that they would want to come to him and learn from him? Well, I sincerely doubt that that minister gave the kind of witness that would invite somebody to say, Give me a reason for the hope that, that is within you. You know, that's, that's what Paul says, or Peter says, always be ready to, to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Well, the only way people are going to be asked what, what your hope is, if, is if you're living a, a winsome life for Christ and, and, and yelling at the opponents and calling them Nazis is, is not the way to live a winsome life for Christ. Christ gives us an example here of how to deal with those who uh, reject his truth. He still is gracious. He is still a servant. And he still says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, this further hardens the hearts of these people. Uh, uh, the response to Jesus' gracious appeal and offer uh, is that they uh, hate him even more. Jesus has said that if they were to keep his word, they would never see death. And it appears uh, to them that Jesus is claiming to be greater than Abraham and the prophets because Abraham died. In their mind, Abraham was one of the, the greatest men who ever lived. And uh, if he was not able to preserve his own life, let alone give life to others, uh, how can Jesus claim to be able to do this? Are you, are you greater than Abraham who died? Are you greater than the prophets whom we all honor who, who died? And uh, it sounds like a question that uh, Jesus heard once before in a little different context. Uh, the woman at the well said, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Jesus had promised living water. And uh, she thought that would uh, be really something she was more inclined to believe Jesus than and did come to believe in him. But uh, she learned that, yes, Jesus is greater than Jacob. And uh, these people need to learn and you and I need to learn that Jesus' need is indeed is greater than uh, Abraham and the prophets. Before he answers the question, he prepares the Jews and us for his answer. 
he affirms that he is not going to, the answer he's going to give, he's not saying this to glorify himself. Again, it's not my job to glorify me. Uh, the Father is the one who is doing that. Uh, but he has to say what the Father tells him to say. And what the Father tells him to say on this occasion is uh, that uh, before Abraham was, First of all, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And then uh, they say, well, how can that be? You're not yet 50 years old. How could uh, Abraham have seen you? You'd have to be uh, a thousand years old to be Abraham to see you. And then Jesus says, well, before Abraham was, I am. Now that answer incensed them. Why did it incense them? Well, because Jesus was not just saying uh, before Abraham was, before Abraham was born, I existed. No, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And that reference, uh, that word I am, that phrase I am, uh, is one that every Jew knew well. It was the name by which God named himself when God told Moses from the burning bush, uh, who to say had sent him when you go to Egypt and you talk to the Jews there and they say, uh, who sent you? Tell them, I am sent you. It's, it's a name for God that emphasizes his self-existence. His existence is dependent upon no one uh, but himself. He is the self-existent God. He is the eternal God, the eternal I am It's a divine name that uh, speaks of God's eternity and self-existence. And now Jesus takes that name upon himself. They recognize that he is claiming to be divine. They understand that he is claiming to be divine. He is claiming to be divine and they understand it, but they don't believe it. And because they don't believe it, they they figure he's guilty of blasphemy Moses said blasphemers should be stoned to death, and so they pick up stones ready to stone him. Moses also said that if anybody is guilty of a capital crime, they need to be uh, tried, uh, go on trial and so forth, and uh, not put to death by mob action. But they're not uh, thinking about that now. They just want to stop Jesus from speaking any further. Uh, The truth is too hard for them to hear, and they want to silence it. And so they're ready to kill him, but they don't. They don't kill him. Jesus just slips away. Amazing. He's done this before, too, when he uh, revealed himself in his hometown. They took him to the edge of a cliff and were going to throw him off. And then he just walked away and they weren't able to kill him. Well, we need to just stop and think for a moment what this is uh, all about. Uh, we need to see in this blind rage against a divine person really what is in the heart of us all apart from the grace of God. This is what it means to be a child of the devil. It means to hate God and hate Jesus whom God has sent and to hate his word and deny everything that he has said. That is the default nature of every human being. And except for the grace of God, we would all be in that crowd ready to stone Jesus. 
It also is what's behind the world's hatred of the church today. We scratch our heads and say, why do they hate us so? Why do they hate us so? Why are they so angry at us? Why do they accuse us of hate when it is their hearts that are so filled with hate? We hate sin, but have compassion for the sinner and want to see the sinner saved. Uh, we, we, our hearts go out to, to, uh, to lost sinners. We don't hate them. Uh, we call them to faith in Christ that they might be saved. But, but they hate us. Why do they hate us? Well, this is the hatred of Satan for God that is uh, brewing in their hearts. And uh, we need to understand it uh, as such and uh, Deal with it the way Jesus shows us to deal with it. And then we need to take note of the fact that they weren't able to kill him. Why weren't they able to kill him? Because his time had not yet come. There would come a time when when they would kill him and put him to death. But he wants us to see again and again that nobody takes his life. When, when they do put him to death, it's because he lets them do it. It's because he voluntarily lays down his life. No mob action took him away against his will. His death was willing death, a willing substitution. He died because he loves you and willingly gave his life for you. No one took him from it, took his life from him, but he laid it down for you and for me because he loves us. What a glorious Savior we have. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you for Jesus and for all that he reveals to us in this passage about himself. We thank you that he responds to insult and injury with grace and with uh, courage, uh, continuing to call sinners to repentance. And even when they are ready to kill him for showing his divinity, uh, he uh, just walks away from them. He doesn't uh, give them what they deserve because he has indeed not come to condemn, but that we might have life through him. O Father, work such faith in our hearts that we may have life in him and strengthen that faith day by day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.